0: One, two, three, pedagogy Pedagogy-a-go-go. Pedagogy-a-go-go-go. Hello, and welcome to Pedagogy-a-go-go, a podcast about college faculty sharing what happens in their classrooms and why. This is Episode 1, Student Voices, and we are your hosts, Gina Turner and Tom O'Connor. Gina. Hi, Tom. It is uh, our
1: maiden voyage here for Pedagogia A Go Go, uh, Toot
0: Toot Podcast
1: Supreme. Uh, I can't tell you how excited we both are um, to, to be doing this uh, here at NCC.
0: I know we're a little giddy about it. We,
1: we've been uh, there, there's there's been much giddiness uh, in, in the morning, and, and possibly even a frolic or two, nearly resulting in spilled water.
0: Definitely a frolic. Definitely um, a frolic.
1: But uh,
0: we should say a little bit about what this
1: podcast is going to be about since this is the first one.
0: Yes. So um, this was masterminded by Kelly Allen, um, who is our uh, uh, East 40 Garden mastermind as well um, and English professor. And he wanted to come up with a podcast that allowed for faculty to talk about what they do in the classroom, why they do it what interactions with students are, how we are transformed by being in the classroom. And so we were really eager to get an opportunity to talk to our colleagues about all of these things. I suppose we should say who we are. Yeah, you might as
1: well. Pretend you've never met me before. (laughs) No, seriously, Gina, tell me a little bit about yourself.
0: So I teach psychology. This is my 10th year here at Northampton. And I teach intro psych as well as cognitive psychology, health psychology, research methods, and honors intro classes as well. And uh, I went to graduate school because I discovered a love for teaching after a first career. So this is sort of my second uh, reinvention of myself, Uh, (laughs) was to go to graduate school for psychology. What was your first career? Um, My first career was mostly had to do with HR and IT training and support. So a little bit different. A little bit different. <laughs> a little bit different. But I got into psychology because I did a lot of volunteer work in in the, this area. And I really started to spend more time at my volunteer places than I was – more time and energy, I should say, at my volunteer places than I was expending in my day job. And so I decided to go to graduate school. So where did you go to graduate school? I went to the new school, the new school for social research in oh, – New York City place. it, it awesome. was a happening place it was a fantastic experience uh grad school was so much fun <laughs> and I could be a student forever grad school grad school was
1: fun and I nearly fell into the being a student forever whole I mean it's, it's 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 awfully yeah so tell us about it's, yourself Tom all right my graduate school siren lullaby uh, my name's Tom O'Connor. Um, let's see. Uh, I came to Northampton Community College about two and a half years ago. I'm the assistant a- academic dean at our Monroe campus. Uh, my background, I went to Lehigh University for my master's and doctorate, and my background's in 19th and 20th century British literature, uh, theories of gender and sexuality, and, and film. And so uh, I have the good fortune to teach here. I've taught here for about the last two years, and uh, let me tell you, uh, you know, uh, it was wonderful to step back into the classroom again. And I too, I you know, I didn't I didn't know right away I was going to be a teacher until I, I had my 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 undergraduate moment when someone <laughs> did the shoulder tap and they were like, you know, have you considered teaching? And, yeah, uh, and I was like. No, not really. I haven't really figured anything out yet. I'm, I'm 20. Leave me alone. And uh, and it, it, it burrowed in there like that little worm at the beginning of Star Trek 2: The Wrath of Khan. You know, and it, it, it set up residence. And I realized that this is something I really, you know, I have to do. Yeah. And so I, I found myself here and uh, I feel so fortunate to be here. That's great. So...
0: Yeah, teaching is uh, is a is a bug that people catch. I think <laughs> really, it's like a sexually transmitted disease. It's, you know. All right, I'm not going to go that far. This Jeff, isn't this sh- isn't that kind of podcast. Are you sure? <laughs> I, I don't know. Jeff promised me he can fix
1: anything in post that can get me fired. So.
0: Um, And I think that that brings us to the way we would like to start out the podcast, which is to talk about what we learned this week. Because I think one thing about teaching is that you learn something every time you teach. And I'm always joking with my husband. I might be watching a TV show or reading a book. And all of a sudden, I think, oh, this is something I can share with my students. And then I turn to him and I say, I'm working right now. <laughs> so, you know... <laughs> So, Tom, do you want to share? I
1: will. And so the the thing I learned this week, um, and I, I just banged the table, I'm probably going to do that a couple more times through the course of this podcast. We're I'm,
0: very fiery we're, on this we're, podcast. That's,
1: it's, it's not that type of podcast either, you know? So like,
0: uh,
1: no, it's not InfoWars.
0: Oh, yeah. Not that kind of fiery. <laughs> no, that different type of fiery. No, no.
1: The, the thing I learned this week, um, it was something really practical, and it was also... Um, it was also just the pleasure of getting to be a student again is um the CTLT uh just this past week um in both in Bethlehem and in Monroe uh hosted an event um regarding best practices for being inclusive of transgender students in our classrooms. And uh it was it was led by one of uh Northampton Community College's students, uh Tristan Novak and uh Professor Christine Armstrong in the communications department. And I, they slayed it. They it was so wonderful. Um, I, I had an opportunity to sit in a similar workshop last semester, uh, and it was equally wonderful. Um, I think there's, there's a real desire and knowledge to know on our faculty's part on best practices to being inclusive and just some of the, the, some of the practical things that they, they went through through the course of it, you know, providing a space for us that, you know, anyone to ask questions, but you know, everyone there left with like five things that they could Mm. do to change their teaching practices Leaving that room, you know, mm-hmm. hey, the next time I give attendance on the first day of class, I'm going to ask students to introduce themselves so I don't, A, butcher names, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, or presume, you know, someone's gender or, you know, sexual identity, biological sex, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, sexual identity. Uh, so, um, you know, that, that was one. Um, best use, you know, part of those introductions to, 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 to introduce yourself and allow students to also introduce, introduce themselves with, with their personal pronouns, Mm -hmm. he, him, she, her, they, theirs. Um, that's something I've often done through like, you know, cards at the beginning of class, but, you know, listening in the workshop to them discuss why you, you would do that out loud the first day of class and give class time over to it because that sends the message to any, you know, any person who's not a heterosexual cisgender person in that classroom Mm -hmm. that this is a safe space for them that they're going to be protected in that class and that people are going to be respectful in the way that they treat them i mean that was two um i know that this is something that's going to repeat in coming semesters so i i I could go on and on but I, i just want to encourage that when you see these types of workshops at the ctlt by all means go um you know uh they're fabulous. Yes, so definitely.
0: Shout out to the CTLT. Um, not we're not just going to be shilling for the CTLT, but No, no, no. They but are... it,
1: it, that was I was happy to shill for that one. Yes. That was really wonderful. Yes. Oh
0: no, and, and I I say that only because I was also going to mention something that happened at the CTLT this past week. Oh, I'm so glad I went first. <laughs> But also, I just want to briefly kind of jump on what you said about um providing that safe space in the classroom for students who have um who are l g b t um who are um you know gender fluid et cetera, et cetera, because I think the other thing that that does is it makes the other students who weren't form- formerly aware of those issues realize, oh. I also need to be aware of this. This is this is a space that I need to learn about something that maybe I haven't been exposed to before which is which is part of the learning experience which is one of the great things about uh about being in a classroom, right? Absolutely. We're all learning from each other. The students are learning from each other just as much as they're learning from the teacher, and certainly the teacher is learning from
2: them.
1: And it's important to note, too, that the students are not uncomfortable in the practice of doing that at mm-hmm. all. Many of them have done it before. I yeah. think it's usually the faculty that are surprised. They expect that they haven't, and, and, and they true. have.
0: Yeah, that's true. This generation is more comfortable, I think, they in, really in are. some respect.
1: I mean, but to your second point, though, I'm glad you, you highlighted something key that – For students coming – specifically students who've come from high school to college, they don't have a lot of experiences Mm -hmm. talking about issues related to race, gender, Mm -hmm. sexuality, or class in in their classrooms Mm -hmm. for multiple reasons reasons related to secondary education. Mm -hmm. And so opening that door and say this is the place where we're going to be talking about it and here are the ground rules for a respectful way to do that Mm -hmm. are – good practice.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, my um, CTLT experience this week was I went to a game night, (laughs) which was a lot of fun. So it was hosted by another one of our faculty colleagues. um, And we played a game called Codenames. I think that was the name of the game. Okay. But the thing that was fun about it for me is I oftentimes feel like um, and I, you know, and I've talked to colleagues about this too, and you can weigh in, Tom. You know, we show up, we go in the classroom, and we're outnumbered by the students. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you say it like that, it sounds like a zombie movie. <laughs> No, they move faster than zombies. <laughs> but not as no. quick getting Boyle zombies. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Those are the scary zombies. I don't approve of those zombies. Um, but, um, and sometimes I feel a little, you know, alone in the classroom, honestly, because I'm there teaching and, and I think, you know, it would be nice to have like a, a fellow teacher here next to me to co-teach this class and bounce things off of. And a student asks me a question. I'm like, I don't know the answer to that. Or there's an issue that happens in class. Maybe I'm just... Um, sharing how insecure I oftentimes feel in the classroom. <laughs> Me
1: too. It is okay to be insecure. We're all insecure in our deepest, darkest moments. Get us
0: alone in the closet. Exactly. <laughs> we're going to be revealing far too much information. Um, but the the beauty of um, any kind of social... I, I always relish any social interaction with my colleagues here on the campus. And at that game night were um, several faculty members, um, at least one from Monroe, who I Don't often get to see, and then a lot of our advising staff were there, and so I got to know them in a way that I hadn't, you know, gotten to know them before. I knew the names, but it was very fun, and we were laughing a lot and eating pizza. And uh, I started putting Doritos on my pizza, and that was delicious. And so, really, anytime (laughs) there are Doritos involved, I'm this is a a judgment free zone, so I'm not, I'm not going (laughs) to. So I guess what I relearned because I think that I maybe as a kind of you know typical introvert I sort of do forget how important making um, the social connections are with my colleagues is because it makes it that much easier to think oh you know what I'm going to reach out to so and so and ask them if they've ever have, ever had that experience in the class or oh I have this student who's having this situation. Oh, I talked to so and so at that game night. I bet she would have some really good advice for me about how to advise this student. Not to and mention so opportunities
1: so for what? Interdisciplinary partnerships, exactly. interdisciplinary research, and not and not just then and also, I mean, let's be honest: bridging the academic administrative divide. Yep. You mentioned that yep. not everyone there were faculty members, right. and like you know, building better partnerships there is. Yep, that is such such a selfish plug <laughs> as an assistant dean. Well, I'll, you know. I'll,
0: although I really want to co-teach a class on the psychology of film with you now, Tom. So be amazing! Wouldn't that be the all best? right. Let's
1: listen up, curriculum. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're, we're going to need to move quickly into the next part of our show. I, yes. I want to I say that um, I'm incredibly excited by today's guest, uh, who's Dr. Sharon Gavin-Levy. Uh, in full disclosure, we, we already uh, interviewed Sharon. We sat down with her today. Uh, for and we still of, have chills. We, that's, thank you. Um, any of you who are lucky enough to be at commencement and hear her speak know um, just how inspirational she can be and, and how much she has to teach us from her own years of experience. Uh, so it was uh, speaking selfish. Just a real treat having her here.
0: If you had just one word to describe yourself as a teacher, what would it be?
1: Our guest today is Dr. Sharon Gavin-Leading. Sharon began working with Northampton Community College in 1976 and became a full-time faculty member in our English department in 1995. Sharon's service to NCC over 42 years, first as an administrator and later as a professor stands as a testament to the good work she's done with our students. Sharon, welcome today. We're so excited to have you join us. Um, I'll come with the soft one that should be easy. Can, can you tell us a little bit about what classes you've taught at NCC?
2: Sure. And thank you for that lovely introduction. And I'm excited to be here, Tom and Gina. Um, I've taught English 1, English 2, and African-American literature. I also, uh, gosh, it's been probably 10, 15 years ago, I also taught what was then called basic English. And it's, you know, it's been revised and so forth. So I think I've taught the gamut here. I did actually develop the African-American literature class as well as the African-American literature honors class. So I've taught a variety here at the college.
1: So when you started here, I know you were working here as an administrator in support of our students. Why did you transition to teach? Why do you teach?
2: Well, let me answer the first part about why did I transition. I, I did come here initially as a part of what was then the ACT 101 program, which was essentially and um it was an educational opportunity program so i had the opportunity to uh be what was called then a program specialist but just basically somebody who supported students advising um encouraging whatever whatever we had to do whatever i had to do that was my responsibility and so from there i moved on to becoming the uh actually the director of the program so i directed the program for i guess about 14, 15 years. So they were my administrative years. And then I had what I like to call a mid-life, a mid-career change, and I had the opportunity to um, transition into teaching. And it worked for me uh, professionally, and it also worked for me personally, because I had a young daughter at that time. And um, it, it afforded me the opportunity to have my summers off and to have a, a much more flexibility in terms of my schedule. So um, that's when I began to teach. And I realized in that transition that really teaching was my calling. Mm-hmm. I loved working with students um, in my administrative capacity and, and, and the staff and so forth. But once I began teaching, i I knew that 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 was what I was meant to do absolutely. <laughs>
0: that's great that That's actually a perfect transition into um into talking about teaching. And one of the first questions we want to ask you is, if you had to pick one word to describe yourself as a teacher, what would it be?
2: Oh, that is a wonderful, wonderful <laughs> question. <laughs> Sorry, um, <laughs> if I had one word to describe myself as a teacher. And it has to be one, it could not be, three. Well, <laughs> well look I'm at you three. okay. The how, how about this? How about this? Um, <laughs> you, we, can, we can. How about have a phrase. firmly flexible, or fle- or flexibly firm? Oh, I love
0: it. It's so a hyphen. Yes. 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 That's fair. That's entirely yes. fair.
2: Flexibility and, and firmness. I love that. Yes.
0: Yes. yes. So because you want to be react responsive, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. have
2: Right. Limits yeah. I think, if, can I expand on that? Absolutely. Um, I, I have to say flexibility because teaching at a community college, I believe, requires flexibility. And I, that's why I love teaching at a community college because You won't, you won't only have 18 year olds walking in your classroom. You'll have 28 year olds. You'll have 48 year olds. And I can actually say I actually had a, I believe a 72 or 74 year old walking in my classroom at the Monroe campus, as a matter of fact. And so when you have that diversity and that range of students, um, you have to be flexible. And that's what I love about a community college because you you will have students of many ages, many different stories and experiences, many different goals and dreams. And so you absolutely have to be flexible. And so that's one of the reasons I always say I'm flexible, but I'm firm. And I think the firm, the firmness comes in with my belief that this education and this product that I'm trying to... Um, pass on to you. Um, there, there, There is some firmness that's absolutely necessary. And so um, I'm a firm believer that everybody may come in at a different place, but everybody needs to leave with the car that I'm selling. And so I always tell students, you know, I'm not going to give you A piece of something. If you purchase a car, you're going to want the engine and the transmission, and you're definitely going to want the air conditioning and the heat, and you're going to want the radio, CD player, and whatever else. And so that's how I say in in the class, I'm going to give you everything I have. Uh, you may not want it, but I'm that. going to give you everything I have.
0: I love that because it also, then maybe they want to get the spoiler. Absolutely. I
2: hope so. And the, the sunroof. Floor. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Oh,
0: that's great. That's, mm-hmm. that's such a great analogy.
2: I'm
1: imagining you as like bamboo in the wind you know? You're not real steel you know? You're not Absol- real strong. you absolutely but that there's there's a sense of structure but but the give and take that our students really require. Yes. I think that's what well, love
2: Yes. Well, all right.
1: Well, you spoke a little bit about teaching as a calling mm-hmm. um and why you teach. Can you tell us a little bit about why you teach the way you do? And I think your words spoke to this a
2: Yes. Bit. I can I can um that goes back to when I was an undergraduate. I only took one education course. I you know, I'm not a trained teacher. I de- didn't have all the courses, but I did take one education course. And I remember that the the professor shared with us early on in the semester. He um and he used the the this expression. He said that education changes behavior. Mm-hmm. And that really um that really resonated with me then and it, and it res- resonates with me now because i believe that education is all about the fact that it can change your behavior mm. and and it changes your life and the word that i have always used in my teaching and in, in the way that i look at my profession is transformation mm-hmm. i know that education can transform your life he used the expression it changes your behavior and so on a very basic level when you have a a little kindergartner or a first grader they walk in your classroom and they cannot read mm-hmm. But in the course of their being in your classroom, they leave reading. So their behavior has changed. They walked in not knowing how to read, but they walk out knowing how to read. And so I really see education as that incredible transformation that can transform your life. And so I think that has really informed my teaching and how I approach it, just the idea of transformation. And I think that has, that really has informed Everything that that informs the way I intera- interact with students, because when you teach it in at a community college, you know our students have incredible stories. They come from incredible places, and I see my role as as their professor as one who is trying to help them transform their life, whatever it is. And I mean, I have seen amazing transformations here, and um, that's the awesome part of being a community college professor.
0: Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. That's that, And that really actually makes me want to... I, I was I was begging you were going to do it because yes. I, I know I know exactly where you're going yes. because we yes. were fans in the audience. Yes, Please. At, the, at our winter commencement, you gave an absolutely beautiful and inspiring speech to our graduates and to all of us. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think all of the faculty, we were sharing mm-hmm. your transcript of the speech with each other. And you said one thing that I think really ties in with what you were saying about... Um, the need for both flexibility and firmness because mm-hmm. of the diverse nature of the students. And, and you, you, your commencement speech was really about the voice, the, the unique voice each student has. You yes. said, your voice conveys your values and vulnerabilities, ideas and opinions, your fears and frustrations, your strengths and struggles, and your dreams and desires, which is beautifully written. And beautifully alliterative. I yeah. Mean, wonderful. Yeah. And yeah. So I, I wonder if you can think of a way in which a student's voice has transformed because you really talk about how um, a student can come into the college not knowing what their voice is and then coming out being able to hear their own voice. And yes, is is there a, a a story or a student that? Oh my through?
2: gosh, there are so many students, <laughs> so many students. Um, but let me think of this one and and I I won't call her name but I remember this young woman came in and she was a young single mother and I know that she lived here in this area and she lived in in public housing so I know that economically um her life was a struggle and I knew that education could totally totally transform transform her life as well as her two young sons and she was in my english 1 class and I knew that um I knew that she would need to do well because she wanted to get into the nursing program, okay. and uh English was not her first language- uh, and uh so i knew I knew her story, mm-hmm. and I knew how much um being a student here meant to her, and I knew what was at stake, not only for her but for her her two young children mm-hmm. well she she worked hard. She studied hard and she came in with some, you know, she came in with another student and it's just wonderful when students come in with a friend or somebody who was going to try to travel this road with them. So so she came in and and she did she did well in my student, in my class. She I don't know that she was an A student, but I do believe she was at least a B plus. Mm -hmm. And so she worked hard and I got to know her. And I, 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 and I got to know her beyond just being my student. Uh-huh. And she did uh, finish the class. She did go on, and she did get into our nursing program. Oh, fantastic! She graduated. She did go on to, I believe, I'm not sure where she where she went, but she did. Eventually get a bachelor's in nursing. Uh-huh. And I know now that she is in the process of, um, working on her master's in the interim. It's, it's been, I would say 10 years because in the interim, she did meet and marry somebody. Uh, she did go on to have another child and she's working on a master's degree. She's working here in the Lehigh Valley and she's living in probably one of the most economically well-off communities <laughs> now so from public housing wow to a bachelor's degree to working on a master's degree and through it all and just in terms of her voice she walked into my classroom very tentative very insecure not knowing if she was going to make it in the class much less mm-hmm. make it in a nursing into the nursing program to a, a, a young woman where she has command of herself, her life, mm-hmm. where she's going, her children, her life personally now, um, her life professionally, um, really being in command. And if I could use Janet Jackson's yeah. song, in control. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. And so Excellent. I, I love that. I love that. And that's yeah. a story, that's one story. But there are so many stories that I could tell of students who came in with this very quiet, insecure voice mm-hmm. and who are now shouting and oh, shouting God. loud. I love it. That's I so, absolutely love it.
0: That's so wonderful. And it also just illustrates, too, that you you followed her over mm-hmm. the course of a decade mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. have been able to see her progress over mm-hmm. time. And,
2: that. and that's the wonderful part of a community college because yeah. so many of our students are still in this community. Yeah. And the, when you've worked at a place like this for a long time, I can't go anywhere and not run into my students. Restaurants, movie theaters. Yeah. And so in many cases it is good to um it is good to uh you know keep in touch with them. Yeah. So in some cases you don't want to because I have this one student who um wanted to get into law enforcement and he did eventually get into the state police and so I'm sure by now I know he's a, he's a um a state police officer now. Uh- I used to run into him at Olive Garden for years, and then eventually I know he got into the academy. And so, fortunately, I haven't run into him <laughs> <laughs> as a st- state police officer. Right. But um, that's the wonderful thing about being in a community college in this area: a lot of our students stay in the area, yeah. so you do run into them. Yeah, you run into them often.
0: Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. I'd love to ask a follow-up because you know what you shared and two things that stuck out, uh, stuck out to me. First is when you were describing. The initial story about this woman young woman in your class you talked about what was at stake for
2: her Mm -hmm.
1: and in telling this beautiful story to us about this one student we get the sense of the narrative of the individual Mm -hmm. all that is at stake and all Mm -hmm. that they have accomplished right in their time here at ncc and and beyond Mm -hmm. um kind of as a direct follow-up you know how did you come to know her story
2: i think that i that's a part of my teaching I firmly believe that I can't teach you if I don't know you. And so um, I get to know... I try to get to know all of my students' stories some will unfold some depending on them will, you know we may have a closer connection or they'll they'll be more willing but for example I always have writing conferences with my students that's something that an english professor that's a luxury that an We're english so professor to to absolutely and yes and so as a part of that I before I even start talking to them about the writing I talk to them about who they are, you know, what high school they went to, mm-hmm. um, where they're from. And and so that really allows me to get to know them. I had a student one time, if I can just share this, he was a difficult student. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was, on the surface level, probably would not have been one of my favorite students. He was a difficult student. Mm-hmm. And um, in the course of the semester, I did have the opportunity to talk with him, and in talking with him, I found out, I learned why he was a difficult student. Mm -hmm. Um, He was from a family that was um, well off. Uh, his, his, His father was in the medical field, and he had a sister who was very bright, and clearly the following the path of the child of a doctor. okay, And so she was doing everything that she was supposed to do, and she was doing very well. Uh-huh. He was not. He was not doing well, and, and, and his educational experience was one in which he struggled. Mm-hmm. And so after I got to know him, I got to know why he was difficult and why he was giving me such a hard time. Mm-hmm. So it really had nothing to do with me, and it had everything to do with being an unsuccessful student when you had a very successful father and a very successful older sister and everybody in the family is succeeding except me. Mm -hmm. And so I understood why he was being difficult. So I then had to work with him from a different way. I had to help him see that he could be successful Mm -hmm. and maybe he would never be a doctor. But he could still be successful. And after we kind of got over that hump, and I realized who he was, and he realized that you know it was important for me to be successful in the way that he could be successful, we had a meeting of the minds, and we 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 made it after that, mm-hmm. you know. But that was um, that's why I feel it's important to know students. You, ha- I I really believe that I can't teach anyone unless I know them. Mm -hmm. And some I will get to know better, Mm -hmm. and some I will stay in touch with. Um, I make it a point that while I'm your professor, we will never be friends on social media. It's kind of like my daughter. She and I will never be friends' friends. I want to be your mother. I say to her all the time, I have friends, and I have good friends, and we have fun together. But I don't want to be your friend in the same way that I'm with some of my peer friends. I want to be your mother. So I say to my students, we won't be friends on social media. Once you're out of my class and once you graduate graduation has its privilege, <laughs> then we can be friends. But I do have friends, students who are my friends on social media. So, you know, while they're in my class, I let them know, I don't want you to, I don't want to be your friend. <laughs> yeah. I really want to have this relationship in which I can help you facilitate this process of transformation. I want to hear, I'm hearing your voice now, but your voice has places to go. Yeah. And and while we're in this relationship, I want to be a part of making that happen.
0: It comes back to that idea of being flexible but firm. Yes. You know?
2: So I really, when I do have those difficult students, I know there's a reason mm-hmm. why. And so I try to get, if I can get there with them and, and find out why they're difficult and why we're having a hard time very often it's it's because there's a story. And I love I you know I love I we all have the stories and that's one thing I tell students. You you know you don't have to be 40, 50, 60 years old to have a story. You have a story right now. Mm-hmm. And and one of the things that I try to do if I can get to the story then I feel I can be a better Teacher, a better facility. I can't
1: imagine saying it a better way. Yeah. I, I think there's a lesson in here for instructors of all disciplines. Because
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, you're right, we are privileged when we mm-hmm. teach English mm-hmm. literature classes and writing classes to mm-hmm. meet with mm-hmm. our students one on one for conferences. Mm-hmm. But the point you're making, and, and, it, and please tell me if I'm saying this wrong, the lesson I take from it is that every student. Faces their own set of struggles; they're mm-hmm. all their own Sisyphus, if you will, pushing mm-hmm. that boulder up the hill. Mm-hmm. And unless you, as an instructor, can identify the shape and structure of that boulder they're mm-hmm. rolling, you don't know the right way to help them. So it's important I,
2: I believe to each of those. Absolutely, I believe that.
1: And so, like you know, for those you know in in disciplines that don't conference frequently, I mean, maybe, you know, find a way to, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, encouraging students to come
0: to office hours mm-hmm. or, you know, or if you have upcoming projects, I'd love to mm-hmm. meet
2: with mm-hmm. you guys as a group.
0: And it is something that I've found myself doing even in my psychology classes, which is mm-hmm. I can schedule one-on-one meetings, very brief ones with each of my in- introductory psychology students. Mm-hmm. because I, mm-hmm. It is so powerful to realize that that student who's been sitting in the back row and missing a lot of classes has X and Y and Z all going on in their life, and Mm -hmm. that they still actually want to be actively engaged. Absolutely. just to make that connection that they can come and talk to you, because a lot of our students don't realize that they can come in and talk to the professors as well.
2: And also, one thing that I think is important for educators, those of us who are privileged to be in the classroom, is that you... However you want to frame it, however you want to articulate it, You, I believe that you really have to believe in the transformational power of education. Mm-hmm. And I believe that firmly. I believe that um, maybe everyone will not become a neurosurgeon, mm-hmm. but I'm a firm believer that education can transform your life. Mm-hmm. And if you believe that, then every student who walks through the door, you you will know that education can have a powerful impact on their life. And if you believe that, then I believe that will influence the way you view them and the way you view your teaching.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you feel like, can you think of a time as a student mm-hmm. that you felt like you were transformed or, and and maybe was there a professor or a teacher that helped you in that transformation. Absolutely. Ask, Absolutely. This exactly. is my story. This is my story. And and I'm and
2: I'm when I grew up, I grew up in um uh, I grew up out on Long Island. And I grew up in the fifties and early sixties. I blew I grew up in a time when issues of race Were issues of race in this country, Mm -hmm. which I believe they still are. But of course, (laughs) not everybody believes that, you know. We don't have time to get into that. Right? We don't have time. But, but I, I grew up back in the day when I was, um, when I was a colored girl, Mm -hmm. and the word Negro, and I was a colored girl, and I grew up in a time where, um. Colored girls were not supposed to be bright. Mm. And colored girls were not supposed to be, um, were not thought of as being bright, exceptional, talented, etc. So I grew up going to an elementary school in which probably the only little colored girls were related to me. So it was a little small town out on Long Island that had a relatively small um, African-American population. In fact, I can remember when uh Hispanics at that time, just Puerto Ricans, just really began to come to Long Island and that was probably when I was maybe fifth, sixth grade. So there were there was not even a Hispanic population. Yeah. What area? Long Island, Suffolk County. I grew up in Suffolk County, a little small town out in Suffolk County. And so um when I went to school um, and and I had my parents. My my mom did have a, a GD, GED, but and she she's a Native American from the Shinnecock tribe on Long Island, and uh, from a large family. And my dad was originally from Mississippi, oh, and wow. so he probably didn't have probably more than maybe seventh grade education. So, but I grew up with parents who believed in education, and so we grew up with the messages of of, you know, you have to work hard and you have to work harder. You know, that's a part of my lexicon. That's a part of what my generation grew up. That's a part of what baby boomers of color grew up with. Mm -hmm. You know, you, right. You had to work hard and you had to work harder. Um, and, and then of, of course, being a a woman, a a girl, it was different. But anyway, long story short, growing up in that little, in that height, in that elementary school, I was a okay student. I, I remember we got, we had grades of like I for improving and needing improvement, S for satisfactory and H, highly satisfactory. <laughs> so I'm here this, I'm this little colored girl who had always had S's. You know, I was satisfactory. Okay. I did fine. I was satisfactory. And so, um, when I hit, fifth grade, I had my first male teacher, always had white teachers. I never had a a black teacher until I think probably maybe, I think high school. And they were the only, they were like the one of two. But anyway, in in elementary school, I uh, had this teacher, fifth grade, male, first male teacher, I started doing pretty okay. But when I hit sixth grade, Mr. Blanco, I remember him, <laughs> Mr. Blanco. I started getting H's. And I'm okay. thinking, what? I started getting H's. And I, Mr. Blanco was tough. I mean, one day, Mr. Blanco, you, you, wasn't there, wasn't there something in history? The shot that was heard around the world. Okay. One day, and this was back in the day when teachers could hit students. One day of uh, this young girl, they, she was basically the crybaby. Her name was Diane. You remember all these things, these, these moments. Diane was crying. Mr. Blanco told her to stop crying and Mr. Blanco walked down the aisle and slapped Diane across the face. That was the slap that was heard around the world. He slapped her right across the face, and I must have felt the breeze across the aisle to my desk. But anyway, Mr. Blanco was tough. So you did not mess, you didn't mess with him. I'll never forget. Whenever we had homework, Mr. Blanco said, I want this homework done. Because you know what kids would do? If you didn't get your homework done, you would just stay home, stay out sick that day. And then when you came back the next day, the teachers never asked for your homework. Well, Mr. Blanco said, I want this and I want this homework and I want this assignment done. And the only reason I want to Uh, The only excuse I will accept if this homework isn't done is if I read about you in the paper. (laughs) And so the kids would ask, well, what are you talking about? If we're in a car accident? He said, no, the only excuse I'll accept is if I read your obituary in the paper. So can you imagine telling that to a sixth grader? So Mr. Blanco really.
1: I'm telling you, Mr. Blanco
2: scared me. But the one thing about Mr. Blanco, I started working hard. Harder, I guess, than usual. I don't know if I, if I was working harder or he recognized something in me that I didn't see in myself. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I'm starting to get all these H's. Mm-hmm. So the reason why I, I remember this is because I believe this man changed the course of my life in that I was an okay student. I probably would have gotten A, B's and so forth. And I, but the thing that Mr. Blanco did is he, when we, when we left sixth grade and we went to seventh grade, they began tracking. Oh, yeah. So when I left sixth grade with all these H's, I was tracked to the high track. So I literally believe, and, and I don't, I don't know, I don't want to say anything negative about my other teachers before Mr. Blanco, but Mr. Blanco saw something in me and he was not going to accept anything less than H's from me because he knew I could do hmm. it. Why and do so think- I think he, cha- I really believe he changed the, trage- the, trage- the trajectory of my life because when I left his class, I was then tracked to no. the A track when we went to, it was called junior high school then. It wasn't middle yeah. school. Yeah. It was junior high school. And so I was tracked. Okay. And I really, I, I attribute it To Mr. Blanco because he didn't accept anything less from me. He knew I could do it Mm. and he wouldn't accept anything less.
0: So do you think it was just that fact that he, I mean, was it fear?
2: (laughs) I think it was a combination of his seeing something in me and his not allowing me to do anything less than what I was capable of okay. doing, you
1: do your best. To Absolutely, you going to have it
2: any other way. Right, even though he may have scared me into it, he scared me straight. <laughs> we, can, we can
1: leave physical violence. Out right, of right, this right, right. right. I,
2: I, I, I am, I am world. by no means am I advocating violence, yeah, but oh, I think, oh, I, I think see. that slap across Diane's face let me know that you know what he, he was not playing with me. Right, and and if he said he wanted an assignment done. He wanted that assignment does yeah
0: well it 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 brings me back to thinking about mr blanco so mr blanco was a white teacher Mm -hmm. is that correct um but still recognized something in you and then you mentioned you didn't have your first black teacher until high school Mm -hmm. do you feel like that was important to finally have a black teacher did that continue to inspire something in you um beyond being on that track that mr blanco had put you on
2: um Unfor- well, yes, it was important. I think it's important because it's important of student. I think it's important for students to see teachers and people in positions who look like them mm-hmm. and who are like them. Mm-hmm. So that was important. Unfortunately, the only in high school. Well, in, in middle school, I did have a woman who was a home economics teacher. Okay. And I mean, it was okay, but it would have been wonderful had she not been a home economics teacher. Okay. But it, that was important. And then when I was in high school, I had a teacher who was this gorgeous Ethiopian, Ethiopian man <laughs> who I had for personal typing. Okay. And we'll let this out for Yes, yes, yes. Mr. Robley. I remember his name too. And he was a gorgeous Ethiopian man and I was an 11th grader. So oh, yeah. I learned to type. Absolutely. And I learned to type well. And actually that was very important because when I went to college, you know, back in the day, you used to have to pay to have people type your papers. This is before computers, so fortunately, I had taken personal typing, so i had I was able to type all of my papers but it 's absolutely absolutely important to have um teachers who look like you yeah absolutely and and when I was in high school, there was just one female well, actually, I went to like a combination junior senior high school and the home ec teacher was 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 a black woman and then there was a history professor who was a black man and they were the only two yeah. and i'm sure they had their challenges too at that time sure. you know to be the onlys you right. know in and, and um and so it was a challenge for them because actually i was the only black person in my high school okay so i'm not talking about in my graduating class in my high school
0: where where
2: i in blue bayport blue point uh long island okay yeah
0: wow yeah Yeah.
2: so um but it yes i believe it's very very important
0: yeah -hmm. i i think um this idea too of someone not only recognizing your ability but your own unique way of conveying the information because that's what i was thinking when both you and tom were talking about being able to spot something in the student's work because it might not be you know perfectly crafted or they might not have every detail right, but there is a level of understanding that they're able to convey.
2: Yes, um, yes.
0: Which which I think not a lot of students recognize that they're able
2: to right. to do that. Yes, to communicate. Yes. The power of yet. I yet. am not an A student yet. Yes. Right. And also what you're introducing when you introduce students to their capability. Um, they look at the world differently. You know, for example, um, I have this wonderful story about this young man who was in my English, English 2 class, a young African-American man who I have, you know, kept, pretty much kept in, in touch with down through the years. And um, I was teaching Barn Burney. And he, I loved having him in my English 2 class because I don't care what short story I taught. He just, you know, he created this whole literary theory himself, this whole new, but he loved barn burning. And, you know, he brought so many elements to, to barn burning that neither I nor Faulkner could have ever imagined. But it was just wonderful because the way he engaged the literature, I felt I really feel like for him just this world of of literature was opened up to him. Mm-hmm. And so um he actually had probably gave me one of my most profound moments um and actually happened this this was probably about 8 to 10 years ago because I had him in my class way before then. But one day I had left here and you know, every once in a while, we can have days that we kind of feel sorry for ourselves, and we're not sure (laughs) we're doing the right thing. And, you know, life just isn't good, right? So I was having one of those life isn't good days. And I left the college here and I drove down to the supermarket because I had probably about 20 minutes to get something for dinner and then to go home and fix it. And you know, the story of our lives. And so I went down To giant and i was walking through giant and i ran into this young man and i know that when he left here he went he entered the military and so um i ran into him and we hugged and everything and he told me that he had been he had been to afghanistan and he had served in the afghan he had served in afghanistan and he shared with me that um so often when he was in Afghanistan, he had thought about me. And he he can recall thinking about barn burning. Oh, wow. And he said, Dr. Levy, do you remember barn burning? He said, I've thought about your class. He said, and when I was in Afghanistan, I would think about that and i was think i was thinking about you and barn burning oh, wow. and so we chatted a minute and then he went about his business and i did and when i got in the car i actually started crying wow. i was, was crying like because you were transformed. right, you, right know. this yeah. young man now is in afghanistan he has a family that he doesn't know whether or not he's going to return to. Mm-hmm. And he's in Afghanistan, and he's thinking about my class and barn burning. Wow. And I literally had to cry because I'm feeling sorry for myself. Mm-hmm. And I had the opportunity to share with this young man, to teach this young man in that class. And he's at war thinking about a story mm-hmm. that he had engaged in my class. So that, that was my moment. That was my moment of kind of transformation, and that the impact that I'm having on them is great, but the impact that they're having on me is great as well. Can I just say yes.
1: thank you for acknowledging the not very good days? Mm-hmm. Because we don't, mm-hmm. we do this internally, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. when we face plant in the classroom, mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. we just wake up and we're just not feeling it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, um, uh, yeah. Sorry, I'm being told by my producer that I'm shaking the table. He's so fired up. My caveman aesthetic. I am. Because it it, it takes, I think, great courage to acknowledge that we don't always feel terrific as teachers. No. And we need to find those moments where we're, we're reminded by each other and by our students. That we are making,
0: a and yes. also that it, it it can it can be over long periods of time. Mm-hmm. Too.
2: Absolutely,
0: I I love the fact that it was a story you taught. You hadn't seen him in a long time, and but that little seed that you had planted had grow, grown yes. in his head. Yes, and and I think it makes me also think back to you know in my class, I psychology can be very technical. And so I'm, you know, I'll describe the concept like conditioning and then ask them to come up with an example from their own lives. And the examples that they come up with can be so, they can illustrate the concept so well and then I get all excited about it and <laughs> turn it on the table. Exactly, right. exactly Exactly. And, and kind of frightened. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes I get a little excited. Um, but and I'm like, yes, you have just exactly perfectly described this concept. Yes. They're like, oh, yeah, that's just my life. And it's like, yes, exactly. You know, it, and it's so nice to be yeah. able to take that and put it in their life and plant that little seed and then. Yes. Um, and hopefully, you know, take take that with
2: them. That, right. And that's the transformational Aspect of education. Yeah, it is transformational. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's a that's a, great,
1: yeah. a great story, Sharon. Do you have a favorite text that you teach in your classes? A favorite it's text. Ordinary, but oh. I mean, like, but I mean, like, I know, it's like, which one? But like, uh, something that either that you love to teach, either because because the students, you know, you're going to get some response, or maybe it's just because it's something you love.
2: Yeah. Oh. Wow. I do. There's so, so many. That's that's such a difficult question to ask an uh, uh, a English professor. But I do love to teach some poetry. I love to teach the poetry of Langston Hughes. I love, and I, there are short stories that I love. Um, I love to teach literature because I teach it in context and whether or not it's literature of women it's important to to understand the historical context and experience of women and african american african americans or native americans or, or whatever but i really um i do love the uh, poetry of langston hughes because i really think it speaks to who i am and it speaks to my soul like when i think of um the negro speaks of rivers mm. when i think of you know um my soul has grown deep as the rivers. It's like this connection with, with, with my people from the beginning of time. I love mother to son. Life That's for so me ain't been no crystal stare. Uh, uh, and I love to teach that to young people as I've aged. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful. When I came here, my students were pretty much my contemporaries. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we were just a few years apart. I remember one time when a student who was 19 asked me how old I was. And I said, I was 26. And he said to me, that old, oh. <laughs> you know, but at 26, <laughs> I was young, you know. And, but when I, you know, as you grow older and, and you can, you know, teach that poem. Life for me ain't been no crystal stair. And, um, you know, you can kind of talk. About, I just love that. I love his poetry. Um, and I just... To
1: it. It's yes, a Harlem Renaissance. Yes, all it is, does. Is, it does. Yeah. all of those elements yep. put into one person.
2: And even I, too, sing America. Mm-hmm. I mean, his poetry is like... It's the poetry of today. Mm-hmm. It's the poetry. The story remains the same. So, yes, there's so many... So many texts that I love to teach for different reasons. But when I like speak to my heart and speak to my soul, I could say that some of the poems of Langston use. Thank Absolutely. You. No, thank you. Do you
0: feel like you mentioned teaching in context? Do you feel like you have changed the way you've taught as the context has changed around us, as society has changed? Because you've taught mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. a number of different
2: um, cultural movements. Mm-hmm. I sure. think yes, Gina, in some ways I think that what I try to do when I talk about I teach in context, I do try to be mindful of where we are now uh-huh. with young people uh-huh. so that they can understand, you know, the story of the Vietnam War, so that they can understand the story of the Harlem Renaissance, mm-hmm. that they can understand the story of um you know the story of an hour you know Uh where women were in the late 1800s and and how you know your relationship with men today is you know is very different than the story you know when when we would when I would teach you know the story of an hour and we talk about you know whether or not he was abusive oh he was abusive he was that was domestic violence and I'd say no that was not de- domestic violence.
1: It's like Teaching my papa's waltz.
2: Right. It see. it was. It he, he was not abusive to her. And you know, she the, realized he loved. You know, okay. he loved her. But that was the way. That was the relationship with men and women. Yeah. Men, women were property.
0: And and for the non English professor mm-hmm. in the room, what story is that? It's
2: the story of an hour. And who
0: is that? By
2: it's A? by Kate. Kate Ch- Ch- yeah, Chopin. Ch- Chopin. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. And it's the story of a woman whose husband, whose husband, she learns her husband has died and she goes up to kind of deal with it. And all of a sudden, she looks outside and she says, Free. Oh, wow. She says, Free. Wow. And so we talk about, you know, how would we view a woman today who learned that her husband died and the first thing that comes out of her mouth is free? Mm -hmm. She's free. And, you know, and so then we talk about the fact that, you know, this is the time when women were the property of their fathers and then the property of their husbands. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, they're thinking, oh, he was abusive to her. No, he was not abusive. Mm -hmm. He was just that she there's this beautiful um, line that talks about uh, all of a sudden at learning of the death of her husband, you know, she's now. Breathing in this elixir of life and thinking how wonderful and praying that now life will be long. Mm. And just yesterday when he was alive, she was dreading that life would be long. You know, so it's just the idea of what the institution of marriage was like for women then. Mm -hmm. And so when I teach, yes, we look at the context, but I try to look at where we are today so to help students understand um, and look through the lens of, you know, 2018 as we look at this story from the late 1800s, early 1900s. Because
0: so much will have changed, mm-hmm. and it's important for them to know know our mm-hmm. history.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you have a sense, you know, in terms of, so what is the veil for our students today, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. like, um, you've you've spoken a little bit about the challenges that your students have faced through mm-hmm. the years. Have they changed?
2: You know what in many ways I I don't know that they've changed hmm. you know one of the things I'm seeing with our with students is that in many ways our students are more worldly so to speak and I don't know if it's the time in the which internet. or the day it could be the internet <laughs> and and it could it could be what students experience in 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 a day where technology reigns one of the things that i was just outraged i learn a lot from my students Mm -hmm. you learn so much students keep you young Students keep you with it. Students keep you hip. On your toes. Um, they really do. But one of the things that, that my students, my students essentially have taught me technology. <laughs> Seriously, my students taught me PowerPoint. My students taught me how to add music to my PowerPoints and so forth and, and how to make them slick and so forth. But my students also taught me that they live in a day and time in which when they, somebody breaks your heart, they do it via technology.
0: Mm, yeah. And so I
2: can, I can remember having conversations in recent years with my students about the fact that they break up with one another via. Mm-hmm. Th- Facebook and mm-hmm. Instagram and that, you know, it, you know, as you get to know students, you know, they get to know you and they get to know that you were once 25 as well. And that somebody broke your heart one time and that the stuff that they're going through, you actually have lived through. Mm-hmm. And so, um so as we get to know, as I, I get to know them, they get to know me too. So they share a lot of things. And so we've had conversations about, um, technology and how it's impacted them. And, and I've been just totally outraged with the fact that they have broken up with each other, um, <laughs> via, you know, Facebook and, and how technology lets them off the hook and I try to bring them a sense of you know there is a more humane way of doing it and you've really lost something if you you know if you don't have the you know you actually have the audacity you don't have the courage to go to their house and break with them and 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 let them fall apart in front of you and weep and so forth you're cheating yourself out of this humanity and so um you know it's it's amazing the time in which they live, and it's it's amazing that um there are experiences that they're not having, and they're they ha- they're having experiences that I'll never have yeah. but you know in spite of that, you know still there can be a connection that exists between us so that we can still have this meaningful relationship. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh my goodness!
1: Oh, I'm going to play the heavy. I, I, I know, I know, we're getting close, but I, I, I want to. We're, we're going to. I'm going to give you an imaginary soapbox, an imaginary wand, and and say, if you could change one thing about your profession or higher education, what would it be?
2: If I, I guess I would say, if I could change one thing about higher education, in my profession, I would just say, um, I would say, give people a chance, open the door, um, take, your, take your lens off, walk into the class without your presuppositions, walk into your class with a um, clean slate, without your assumptions, without your prejudices, without your expectations. But just go in knowing that you have 25 people whose lives you are charged to transform and do it. Mm. Make it happen. Whatever it takes, make it happen.
0: Amen. Well, I mean, yes, I will go do that now. (laughs) (laughs) We have one last frivolous question to ask you, which is a guilty pleasure... That maybe we don't know about you or your fellow faculty wouldn't have known about you. Speaking of not always being right, Dr. Dr. Levy. Levy's out yeah. of the exactly. town. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Dr. Levy loves music. Yes. I love R&B music. <laughs> Dr. Levy and her husband, we celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary uh, two years ago. And we had a big party with a live band. Oh, fantastic. And we had a lot of... R&B music, Motown, Cool and the Gang, Earth, Wind. <laughs> I know, Earth, Wind, and Fire. It was tough. Uh, it was tough. But we had a fabulous party. At our wedding, we had a DJ. But at our 30th wedding anniversary, anniversary we have a live band. Right. So Dr. Levy loves music. Dr. <laughs> Levy loves To dance. And if you invite Dr. Levy at a, to a party, just know Dr. Levy is not going to leave until she has done the electric slide, the cupid slide, the cupid shuffle. I love dancing. I love to dance and I love line dancing. So once I go to a party, after I've done an electric slide or some slide, then I'm good to go home.
0: But I love to have, I love
2: to have a good, I love to have a good time. I really do. I love to have a good time. Mm. Yeah.
0: Well, Sharon, thank you so, so much for taking the time to talk to us. And this was so much fun. Thank you.
2: Oh, thank you. I've enjoyed it as well. Thank you so much. (laughs)
0: Pedagogy, go, go. Pedagogy, go, go, go. That's our next podcast. <laughs> we need. We definitely are going to need to give a shout out to um, the Love and Spoonful and John Sebastian. Yeah. For, so don't um, sue us. Yes. Exactly. Don't <laughs> sue us.
1: You will not sue. You will not
0: sue. <laughs> Hypnagogic mes- messages. That's. <laughs>
1: Thank you. With, this is why you partner with us.
0: Exactly. Well, this leads me into, and I don't know if this if we've just rambled and if this is going to be an easy segue, Jeff, but. Um, uh, Uh, Our closing conversation. So how do we... So... So, I I feel like I need to decompress after talking to Sharon. Yeah. I
1: I am... Like, you know, for those of you listening, you know, at home or at work or in your car or if you're in class right now... (laughs) Oh, if that had been the milk, I would have just won, for the record. (laughs) See? You you were drinking out of your coffee mug. So so you're not following the rules. You caught me. So, but no, I... You know, there were a few times throughout our discussion when, when I know that Sharon was, you know, was moved close to the point of, of tears, and talking about her the, her, the stories of her students uh, and her own experiences in in, in the classroom um, about Langston Hughes in particular, mm-hmm. um, and for also for those of you listening, uh, those texts that we talked about today, we're we're going to do what we can to put those up uh, on the webpage so you can access. So uh, those Langston Hughes poems, um, what Kate Chopin's story of an hour. Um so they're there for you. But um man, you know, we we titled this student voices without really a sense of what we were going to talk about, just just because, you know, Sharon in her commencement speak, you know, speech had really talked about student voices. Mm-hmm. Um but that shone through. You know, I think at one point I said we've come full circle because yes. like it, you know, it, it was really wonderful to have an opportunity for someone to share their student stories with us. Yeah. And to talk about you know, how their teaching works to, to reach these students, to get to know those students, to, to hear and learn the story behind the blank face in that mm-hmm. first day of class. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and to define approaches to their teaching that are going to help that student be
0: successful. Exactly. And, uh, and you know, for those, any of you listening who uh, know Sharon, um, know her warmth and and know um just being in the presence of, Sh- of Sharon that she's such a genuine person and I know I've seen students come up to her and talk to her and interact with her and you can see that they feel that too that there's a it's a it's a genuineness and a, um and a real sense of of caring and she's not putting up a facade at all and I think that that's something that I really take away from this conversation with her is that um Sharon is herself and she is sharing that self with her students and and with whoever she's talking to. So it was a real treat um, speaking with her today. So to wrap up the podcast, we have, exactly. So because we are both A students, although you will probably hear in later podcasts that I was not always an A student. (laughs) Again, too much information. (laughs) But we are to be continued. Yes, exactly. But we are, we have assigned ourselves um, extra credit and extra credit assignment. So we are bringing in something we would like to recommend to our uh, co host. And so my recommendation, I guess I'll go first. Please. My recommendation, I am reading for my book club, the book Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. And I had not read that book. We're reading banned books in, in this book club, um, this year. And so I hadn't read this book since high school and I'd remembered really liking it in high school, but that was really all I remembered about it. And I'm rereading it now. And, um, there are two things that I think are, are, I'm not necessarily saying that you have to go read Brave New World, Tom. So what I'm recommending to you is that your assignment is to revisit something from when you were a teenager, right? That either you loved or- Yep, you got to go out and shell out thousands of dollars, get braces back on your teeth. I'm Not puberty. I'm not saying you have to revisit Well, puberty. thank you for that, Gina. <laughs> I, I appreciate you. But it's been so fun to revisit something that I really enjoyed at the time and see it through new eyes, fresh eyes. And it reminds me of how... Um, Many experiences I've had since because, of course, I did not remember that this book is basically a satire of the, you know, the modern conceptions of psychology and um, it's all about conditioning. So it's all about things that I teach, you know, in, in all of my psychology classes. So that's a lot of fun. But also recognizing that this book is an old text and looking at the ways in which it kind of makes you cringe, and yet also recognizing, similar to what Sharon was saying, that you have to look at the context of a work um, in its time and see what that work also brings to your modern, you know, 2019 view of the world. Because the book still makes a lot of really interesting points about freedom and. Um, and um, you know, kind of keeping yourself entertained with frivolous things as opposed to really thinking about the world. So, so it's been really fun to revisit something and look at it with fresh eyes. Oh. So that's your extra credit. I love that.
1: I'm, I'm <laughs> going to do that, and I will. I will let you know when my voice breaks. Oh,
0: he wins the he podcast again. again. He's just waiting for me. I, to I
1: take wait a for sip. him to take a sip. It's true. It's true. <laughs> All right, so extra credit for you, and I... I, I... I am frequently, you know, in my role, asked to serve on a committee or to take on some kind of responsibility, mm-hmm. usually is the equivalent of Admiral Akbar going, it's a trap, you know? <laughs> uh, but I was, you know, so the last year or so, Matt Connell approached me uh, to sit uh, and help chair a committee uh, for the Dunning Gallery space. Are you going to make me
0: serve on a committee? Is I'm that not going to make you serve credit? on a committee. No, no, no. Wow. This is fun extra credit. So like,
1: <laughs> it, it has not been a trap. It's actually been a pleasure. I get to go out into the community and work with all these different arts organizations. Oh, cool. We just did a show... Uh, uh, featuring uh, Monroe uh, adjunct faculty and their student work alongside one another, which was fabulous. The, the quality of the work was extraordinary. Um, it was really cool actually seeing students experiment with all these different farms, like forums, for, uh. not farms or forums, <laughs> but forums. Gotcha. F O R M S. Gotcha,
0: gotcha. Uh, you You're know. like Natasha. Um, oh goodness, uh, Leon and Roach. <laughs> Totally. So, if you haven't watched Russian
1: Doll. <laughs> I, I have not yet Russian Doll. I, I have, but I I it's, was it Amazon Prime or Netflix. I have uh, both of them. Netflix. So it's it's, it's queued up in my list. Highly
0: recommend so, that's uh, that's my other extra. Other, so for you. I get two
1: pieces of extra credit yes, too. Yes. Okay. Watch so, Russian doll. Anyway, so for the fall, we are um we're partnering actually with the Monroe County Historical Society. We don't yet have any idea what we're doing, but we want to do some kind of joint show from artists within the community and then have the historical society come in and present artifacts from our past. So it would be a focus on like, like not like local artists capturing subjects that are local to the space Mm -hmm. and then the historical kind of perspective of those. So I'm doing a really terrible job because it's not a very formulated thing at this point. But um, we sent out an assignment to the different arts groups that they're now sending us, like, uh, artists are sending this, us their photography that they've taken of old structures and buildings along with where they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and artists are then submitting, like, works of art that that somehow capture, like, local autom- automotive, the automotive industry and, engine, you know, um, so in the industrial age okay. uh, and, and resorts in the Poconos. There's obviously a big history there. So... Um, Part of the extra credit I've been doing has just been, like, absorbing all these wonderful photos and images and stuff. And so I'm going to share it with you. So okay. you, I want you to have a voice in this. You're going to look at these, and you're going to help me formulate what this show is going to be for oh, the fall. Oh,
0: wow. Okay. Sounds, so because it needs a
1: direction. Like, it yeah. can't just be history then and now. Yeah, you know, it yeah, has to yeah. have, like, something like charting, you know, charting industry. In okay. there, or, you know, okay. or um, –
0: Right. I mean, again... Like
1: crumbling, the, the way that things are both preserved and deteriorate, yeah. but also that build up around them. I'm not quite sure, but like yeah. I, I need your eyes, Gina. Got Okay. So that, that's the big okay. one.
0: So that's it. All right. So hopefully it's, we haven't scared you away. We
1: probably have. <laughs> so, But we, we, we beg you to, to come back again. Uh, so that being said, thank you, dear audience. <laughs>
0: We're wondering what is going on inside. Please tell us why you teach the way that you do.
1: Hey, thanks for listening to Pedagogy A Go Go, recorded in the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Technology at Northampton Community College in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Our podcast daydreamer slash showrunner is Kelly Allen, and Pedagogy is produced by Jeff Armstrong. If you've got any questions, please send them to pedagogyagogo at gmail.com. Our social media handle is at pedagogyagogo, and you can stop by our website at www.pedagogyagogo.com for copies of podcast transcripts, guest assignments, and other useful tidbits. Keep in mind there are no hyphens or dots in any of the above web addresses. Until next time. This is Gina and Tom saying, take care and teach well.